people. When I think about how we as patients are staying away from healthcare for lots of different reasons, holding off on healthcare for lots of different reasons because of the brokenness. When I think about how many people have that calling like you to make a difference and to help heal and to help people on their dying journey when that's the journey that they're on. And I see how many disconnects and how many drop balls and how much harm. And almost everyone does not have the intention to harm. Everyone is here to make things better and we're missing it and we're missing it. And we keep going to solutions that are sexy and innovative around technology and farmer. And, and again, they're brilliant and they're incredibly important. And we forget love. And it comes down to, it's all about love. When we love, we'll take care of ourselves and we'll take care of others, regardless of the payment methodology, regardless of the tech. We'll do the right things. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Web. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, this is the podcast for you. Well, I am honored today that the Orsini Way has partnered with the Finley Project to bring you this episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. The Finley Project is a nonprofit organization committed to providing care for mothers who have experienced the unimaginable, the loss of an infant. It was created by their founder, Noel Moore, whose sweet daughter Finley died in 2013. It was at that time that Noel realized that there was a large gap between leaving the hospital without your baby and the time when you get home that led her to start the Finley Project. The Finley Project is the nation's only seven-part holistic program that helps mothers after infant loss by supporting them physically and emotionally. They provide such things as mental health counseling, funeral arrangement support, grocery gift cards, professional house cleaning, professional massage therapy, and support group placement. The Finley Project has helped hundreds of women across the country, and I can tell you that I have seen personally how the Finley Project has literally saved the lives of mothers who lost their infant. If you are interested in learning more or referring a family or donating to this amazing cause, please go to thefinleyproject.org. The Finley Project believes that no family should walk out of a hospital without support. Well, welcome to Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. This is Dr. Anthony Orsini, and I'll be your host again this week. For those of you who are looking for Liz Porritt, my director of programming, sorry to disappoint you, but you're stuck with me again today. Today I have with me as a guest someone, and he's going to blush, but embodies everything that I think is right with healthcare, or better said, everything that should be right in healthcare. With over 40 years of healthcare leadership experience, Thomas Dulberg is a voice for relationship-centered and compassionate care and servant leadership. He is a leader and advisor and an internationally recognized speaker with a really an amazing writer with an expertise in healthcare, communication, courageous vulnerability, and stopping bullying. Tom's multiple award-winning book, From Heart to Head and Back Again, The Journey Through the Healthcare System, which we will be spending a lot of time today, is really an amazing book. His other multiple award-winning book, 
called The Big Kid and Basketball is also, we'll spend a little time talking about that today. And that was equally amazing. I had the privilege of reading both of them in the last two weeks. Tom's a father, a husband, and a coach. He also coaches healthcare leaders and a coach of young men and women. Tom believes by the end of the day, it's all about love and impact. Well, Tom, thanks for coming on. And it's just really great getting to know you over the last month or so. Oh, I appreciate being here. And I feel the same way about you. You've just inspired me with your book, inspired me with your talks through the Gratitude Symposium. And I'm thrilled to share and uh, learn with you today. Yeah, this is going to be great. I kind of knew about you and your work. We've done a couple of projects together. We really first spoke about a month ago. Both of us said we have a mutual friend, Quinn Studer, but we had a conversation that went really well back in May. And I knew that you were going to be a perfect guest for this, but I hadn't read your book yet. I had heard about it and I read it over the last couple of weeks. Thank you for sending it to me. And it's funny, Tom, I read the book and I said, this book's written by an author. It was beautifully written. And I'm thinking, gee, my book is a nice book, but it's written by a physician. This book's written by an author. And so you're just a beautiful writer. And I love the way your book flows. I read it actually in one day because I couldn't put it down. So it really is, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your know what. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to ask you to start off by talking about yourself. But the book really, it reminded me in many ways of a book that most of us know, The Air That I Breathe. Are you familiar with? I'm sure you're familiar with that book and the similarities and differences in that book, because in that book, and there's also was an old movie, I think, where I think John Voight was in it, where you have someone who is in the healthcare system, but then becomes a patient. And in the book with the air that I breathe, I think he realizes all the things that he was thinking wrong. But in your case, I think the, when you were a patient, it actually reinforced all the things that you kind of knew in the beginning. And that's where it's amazing. So I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let you just kind of tell us about yourself. You know, I know you've been in healthcare for a long time, a little bit about that and just your journey. And then we'll just go from there. First of all, thank you for all that feedback. That means a lot, especially coming from you. Yeah. I've been working in healthcare for a long time. When I was a kid, my mother wanted me to be a doctor. So she put me on that path and I was actually in pre-med and I realized that wasn't my calling. My calling was my acumens were in different spaces and, and yet I always wanted to help. And uh, I started off as a housekeeper and a transport aide and a IV aide for a small community hospital in just south of Boston. And I learned so much about what healthcare should look like, what's the term we use, what right looks like and what's right in healthcare. And everything I hear you talk about, it'd be your TEDx or your book and about that humanity and about that compassion and about that connection. I got to see that when I was a housekeeper and I was able to talk to patients and families and connect. And when I was a transport aide and an elderly woman would say, Tommy, please stay with me. I'm scared. I got to see how important that connection and that communication is and the system. And as I continued my journey throughout healthcare and I became a CFO and all these other roles, I never lost that. So when I decided to write the book from Hot to Head and Back Again, a journey through the healthcare system. I had been involved in developing pay-for-all performance programs. Back when we used to call them just quality-based incentive programs. I was involved in all these pieces of it. And I saw so much focus on the financials and so much focus in technology and all these other areas that are incredibly important. And I was seeing less and less focus on humanity and compassion. So again, that's why you resonate. And I really enjoy connecting with you and learning from you because you're in that space. And so when I got sick, and that was back in 2001, 
I was told that never work again. I wasn't sure if I was leaving the hospital. And I got to see flames of goodness in the system, other transport aides, nurses, doctors that really connected and really communicated and really cared and, and quite frankly loved. And I got to see brokenness too. And I got to see where in my variety of roles, I contributed to, I guess, both sides of it. And it really was an epiphany for me and a calling for me, as Quinn would say, Quinn Studer would say, a calling that I wanted to share the message and share the learnings and uh, put that call to action out. Together, we can make a huge difference. Together, we can bring love back into healthcare and create health caring models. So I'm excited to talk more with you about that. So it's really interesting as I read the book. So you were CFO for the Veterans Association? Actually, I was a CFO for the National Institute for Children's Health Quality, which back in the day was the pediatric division of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. The military spot, I was actually a COO for the military healthcare work I did. Okay. So in the book, you beautifully tell stories or parables that help raise your point. And there was one character, well, there were several, but the one character that really hit me was, so give us some background. You're going door to door, basically trying to get people's opinion on the healthcare system, which is an amazing thing to do in the first place, because everybody just likes to send out a survey. But you met Linda Jones and Linda Jones was a great character. And boy, it's, it's someone that age and that tough really told you like it was. I love it. Tell the story about Linda Jones. Linda was amazing. So uh, again, I was the COO for this military program and we're seeking the voice of the customer. We wanted to figure out how we could be better. And part of that, like you said, we were going out, we're interviewing people. So I got to meet with Linda Jones with an associate of mine. And Linda was the wife of a soldier, the wife of an officer. And he was very, very ill and he was having challenges with the healthcare system. And so we got to listen and sit down and have tea and peppercockers and all this wonderful food that my grandmother would have. And we had this great discussions. And she was incredibly smart from lots of different reasons. One, just because she was smart. Another, she worked in business. She got it. She understood certain pieces. And I remember one piece that there were really two really key pieces that drive points home for me from that discussion. One is we were talking about surveys and we were talking about veterans and we were talking about the scores we were getting from our patient surveys, from our veteran surveys. And we were getting great scores, 95% of satisfaction and engagement and all these other pieces. And I remember she put her hand on my knee and she said, Tommy, she said, you got to remember soldiers like my husband, they listen, they take orders, they do what they're told to do. They don't complain. And oh my gosh, Tony, I was like, that just blew me away. That just absolutely blew me away. It aligned with other things I had learned about loyalty and you need to be in that 99% plus. And yet to have it driven home, especially as we were working with veterans and trying to take care of veterans and their families, that was just such a, a, an important point. And then the other point was, I remember she told the story about she was trying to get her husband medication and she had just seen the doctor. She got in line in the, in the pharmacy, a pharmacy within the health system I worked for. And she asked for coded tablets because her husband, in addition to a lot of other issues, she had, he had issues with his gut. And our pharmacist yelled at her. We created a system which led a pharmacist to be so stressed, no excuse, but so stressed, he felt yelling at an elderly woman would be the right thing to do. And it's just horrific. And I remember, and I share this in the story, I was like, oh my gosh, we took the dignity from this woman. 
And what was so incredibly powerful for me, though, is I was wrong. This woman never lost her dignity. She was sad. She was hurt, but she never lost her dignity. And she knew she was there for her husband and she was going to make sure that she took care of him the way he always took care of her and all his men and women that reported to him. Yeah. And there was also a point that she made about, I think her biggest complaint was that she wanted to see her doctor. And every time she went, she was, I think his name was Dr. Brown. Is that right? And she said every time they went there, they thought they were seeing Dr. Brown and it was someone else. That's important to people. And that gets into that whole relationship. I use the term relationships. I didn't care. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That you have trust. You feel safe. You're going to tell that additional wisdom, that additional nugget of wisdom. And you talk about it so well in your book and your talks and so forth, that ability to connect at that human level that is not only the right thing to do, love for love's sake, it's also, it gives you more information to help and make things better. And the expectation was set that they would continue to see their doctor. And we didn't deliver. And again, you're right. That's another great point that we needed to fix. You talked about patient satisfaction scores and that you were in the 95 percentile, but that it was false. It was, you realize, Linda told you, like, stop even looking at that. But I think that's true, not only with veterans, but it's just true in other people that, in everyone, in that, you know, I'm big on age caps. I do programs, as you know, to help people improve their age caps or patient satisfaction scores. But we really have to be careful about studying for the tests. And I think that's what you were basically, what Linda was basically saying is that, wow, we're going to make the question so that most people are going to say yes, or we're going to do this. So there's a patient satisfaction, but it really comes down to is what they want, as you said, is the relationship. And that relationship can happen in a few minutes as I talk about my TED talk. And when I'm reading your book, I thought to myself, thank God I didn't read this book before I did my TED talk because he's going to think I stole from him. <laughs> so I plagiarized <laughs> because there were just so many likenesses of what that connection. Tom, you talk about the EMR and I have a lot of strong opinions about that. And here's a quote from your book. Now I have rethought my selection criteria and will find the physician who will connect with me, not EMR me. So tell us about how that revelation came because you thought EMRs were a great thing at first. I did. I ran an analytics shop. I'm thinking data, more data, more data. We can find it. We can get all this great information. And yet what was happening was we were so busy filling in, checking boxes, filling in slots, whatever it might be, we were forgetting human. And I believe it's Dr. Abraham Vergeese talks about the eye patient, the eye patient, the patient that's actually in the EMR has become more important than the patient before us. And it was like, that was that revelation uh, revelation for me. It was like, that's it. Because I know as part of my healing journey, it was my physician I was blessed to find who came out from behind the computer, who sat with me, who put his hand on my shoulder and my wife's shoulder. It was that connection, that trust, that safety, that relationship, more so than what was being inputted or outputted from any EMR that really made the difference. Yeah, there was a major hospital here in Florida that I shared with other people in the past. They built a new office building. So for their, all their offices and the architect built it so that the computer desk was on the other end of the room from the table where the patient was sitting. The only way the doctor was able to look at the computer was to literally turn his or her back to the patient. And so you look at stuff like this, yeah, this falls under those categories of when you see stuff, you go, what were they thinking? 
Did anybody ask a doctor or a nurse, like, where would you like the computer? Or did some architect just decide, well, it fits nicely here because this is where the cables are. And so I think the EMR does have its place, but, and we're going to talk about Dr. Amari at the end, but it does miss that personal connection. And I think, what was it about your journey and when you were sick that kind of solidified that I've been right all along, but now I didn't realize how right I am? There were a number of things. I remember at one point, this actually isn't in the book. My wife made sure, my bride made sure I did not put it in, but I'll share it very briefly here. I would fight with God all the time when I was sick. I was scared. I was scared. And it was really these feelings, these emotions. In healthcare, we're so good at disease and disease state and diagnosis, and we forget the whole person. And I remember these fights with God. And I remember at one point, I'm testing God as I was also testing myself and I lost and he won. And as usual, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) And it was really this epiphany that, oh my God, I'm a whole person, but not one person except for my bride, my children, my dog are treating me as a whole person. I am now a heart attack or all these different pieces, but not Tom, the whole person. And it was really that. And then when I found the right doctor who really did treat me as a whole person and then helped me heal from a 360 degree perspective. That's what made all the difference and really solidified it for me. You wrote in your book, I think it was in the beginning, the healthcare system's profoundly broken, which is actually the beginning of my TED talk. That's why I said, I'm so glad I didn't read it. (laughs) We are hurting our doctors, our nurses, our families, our patients, our communities, and ourselves. What do you mean by that? When I think about, and you know all this, so when you think about the suicide rate for physicians, and and I'm married to an incredible nurse, and what's happening in the nursing industry and and the great resignation and all this turnover, when I think about how we as patients are staying away from healthcare for lots of different reasons, holding off on healthcare for lots of different reasons because of the brokenness, when I think about how many people have that calling, like you to make a difference and to help heal and to help people on their dying journey when that's the journey that they're on. And I see how many disconnects and how many drop balls and how much harm. And almost everyone does not have the intention to harm. Everyone is here to make things better and we're missing it and we're missing it. And we keep going to solutions that are sexy and innovative around technology and pharma. And and again, they're brilliant and they're incredibly important. And we forget love. But it comes down to, it's all about love. When we love, we'll take care of ourselves and we'll take care of others, regardless of the payment methodology, regardless of the tech, we'll do the right things. And we just need to remember that and get back to it. That's beautifully said. You know, right now, from a physician point of view, we have this, if you're in healthcare and about 75% of our audience is healthcare, if you're in healthcare, there's a struggle right now between hospital executives the doctors, the nurses, you know, I think the army calls this ground truth. If you want to know what's going on in the war, you go down to the private who's in the trenches. There's very little ground truth in medicine right now. There's a bunch of hospital executives who don't know what it's like to take care of a patient who are dictating care. There's a lot of animosity in many instances, not always, of course not. So, but you are a healthcare executive. You were there, you got it. And now you're a patient and you see it. How do we fix this, Tom? I guess is the question that I'm coming at. How do we get together and say, let's take care of our patients. Let's take care of our doctors. 
let's all put our heads together and come out with a system. There's so many key aspects to it. And one, I learned from my days in quality improvement. Let's be very clear on what is the issue we're trying to solve? What are we trying to fix? Because I see lots of fixes and I see a lot of them being band-aids that really aren't addressing what we really need to be focusing on. Another key piece, and I talk about this all the time, is as leaders, the best tool we have is a mirror. And look in the mirror and really figure out where we are and what is our contribution to the challenge. You know, if you think about Deming with the 94-6 rule, which is 94% of system issues are system-related, 6% are people-related or person-related. But what do we do? We're so gung-ho around accountability. We'll go after that nurse or that doctor or that person on the front lines and hold them accountable when it's really us leaders who need to look in the mirror and say, wait a minute, we position them to have that failure or to have that issue before them. We need to bring love back into it. Like I said, we need to figure out, do we really believe in that mission? Do we really believe in caring for people? If we do and we truly love, then we will do whatever it takes. I talk to nurses, especially doctors too, but nurses a lot being married to a nurse. And you hear that, oh yeah, we're going to move from a bed surge floor unit. We're going to go from one nurse to four patients to one nurse to nine patients without any changes in the system, not moving to a team-based care model, not doing any other innovations, but just we're going to do it. And we check the box as we just saved X amount of dollars or we did X, Y, or Z. No, that's not fixing the problem. We just cause more problems. We just harm that nurse. We just harm that patient. We just harm that family. We harm that community. We have to do far better. So when I hear and see, and again, I was a CFO and I was building financial models, all these new innovative value-based reimbursement and financial models, that's beautiful. It's wonderful. They are important. That's not the solution. The solution is integrity and love and losing ego and really focusing on what the real problem is and then together getting to it. And using those other things, tech and farmer and everything else as tools in the solution, but not as the solutions themselves. Love and good patient care is the ultimate top of the pinnacle. And all those other systems should be the, really the base and the foundation that helps them lift that up. And somehow we've kind of inverted that. We've kind of said, we need to make the financially strong. And then if it's good for the patient, then that's great. If not, no, it's like it's upside down, isn't it? And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I remember talking to this amazing physician, head of a quality organization. And she said to me, we'll do the right thing when the financials change, when the funding changes. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> yes. I can guarantee you 25 years prior, that would not have been that particular doctor's perspective because that person had a calling. They weren't burnt. Again, going back to your book, it wasn't burned into them that that was where they needed to focus. It was about helping others and they've lost that. We've positioned them to lose it. And you lose it. And as I talk about many times is, and the talk I just gave for Quint, when we as physicians and nurses lose that or feel that we're not putting the patient first, that's where the depression and the burnout and the suicides all come. And so I love your model. If you just put the love at the top, and by the way, it doesn't have to take that long. There's a whole bunch of people out there go, oh, yeah, you think I can give a doctor 45 minutes with a patient? It's just not going to happen. But you can connect quickly. And that's one of the things. I'll tell you a quick story. I might have said it before on the podcast. So my mother-in-law is sick in Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York City. And she's in ICU. And it's a large Catholic family. We take over the waiting room. You know, there's 13 of us. 
and we're waiting for six hours to speak to the doctor and we're getting a little angry, but it's like, where is he? How come we're not talking? I go to nurse station. I'm trying to schmooze them as much as I can. The guy comes in. I'll never forget this. He came in and he said, first thing he did was sit down. He goes, I want to apologize for making you wait. I was at a different hospital and the traffic was horrible. So I grabbed my motorcycle and I got right here. And all of a sudden, this is basically what I teach when it comes to relationships. Be a genuine person. Be a real person. The whole atmosphere changed from I'm really angry at this doctor for waiting six hours to that is really cool. He drives a motorcycle in New York City. <laughs> and he just, he was brilliant, Tom, right? And I he sat that. down. He was the nicest doctor, apologized, told us everything was going on. My mother-in-law, thank God she did fine. But one sentence, I rode my motorcycle here. He became our best friend. So it doesn't have to take a long time. It's nice when it does, but it can. So we just have to. So it's just a great story. I want to move on to... We'll start from the beginning again. So you're a hospital executive, you're working, you're doing all these great things. You then become a patient. You see the bad things, you see the good things. And as you said, you were really down and really down on yourself and a lot of pain. And then somehow you meet someone called Dr. Amari. So tell us about Dr. Amari and why he was different and seems like an amazing guy. I even looked him up. I couldn't find him on Google. So I don't know if it's his real name or not. I used a different name for him. That's why I couldn't find him. Okay, there you go. But tell us about him. He was absolutely incredible. So I found him because I, at one point, I went back to my office, again, working in the military healthcare, and I was saying goodbye to people because I was told, never work again, get in line for a heart transplant, go down and get your pain meds and, and all this. And I remember this nurse Lita came around her desk and again, talk about positioning and communication. She got on her knees in front of me and she held both of my hands in hers. And she said something to the effect of, Tommy, this is Nova. This is just a detour and you'll be back. And then it was that same person that connected me with his doctor, Amari. And he was absolutely incredible. He engaged both me and my bride from moment one. He was not behind a computer. We spoke of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual issues. We spoke of stuff I didn't want to talk about. I, and I hadn't talked about in front of my bride. It was incredibly hard and yet so worth it. We developed over time relationship and trust. And I knew he loved us and that we loved him. And it was compassion and empathy. And he listened and we listened. And it was just this incredibly hard, beautiful relationship that we had developed. And he was technically brilliant too, because you can't have just all the caring and the love without having the technical brilliance. He was technically brilliant too. And so we would define care pass for every three days. It would basically be three days and three options. If this happens, Tom, go to the emergency room immediately. If this happens, it's going to hurt. It's going to be scary, but that we're expecting that. And then if this happens, call me or whatever it might be. And it was in working with him and again, him getting more and more nuggets of wisdom from us, my bride and I, and hitting on all different aspects of our care. I'm back working again. You know, I was able to heal. I did not need the heart transplant. And Everyone's different and everyone needs different things. But for me and with him together with my bride, we found the right path for me. And I was able to tell this story and hopefully help others. And it's amazing that treating the whole person, right? This is what doctors want to do. This is what they're trained to do. And we have to fix the system. As you said before, let's make the foundation 
that will allow them to do this. And I know he spent a lot of time with you and maybe he can't do that with every single patient, but I always tell my, when I coach people, find somebody who's good at something and steal from them. I mean, because that's what I've done, right, Tom? I mean, listen, I didn't wake up and say, hey, I got all these great things to say to me. I watched people. And you, so we can take what's great about Dr. Amari and somehow just say, can we all steal from him? Right. Exactly. There's key pieces of it. And if you think about the relationship-centered care model, you think about a compassionate care model, you think about a whole-centered person care model, whatever we want to call it, there are elements that he brings to it that are foundational. And by doing that, and again, balancing, it's why I called the book Heart and Mind. It has to be the compassion and the love. It has to be the technical brilliance together. Then we can really make a difference together. And I'm just looking at the book right now. I'm, you're just thinking he's not listening, but I got the book when the air that I breathe the name wrong. So it's called, I'm looking at it now, When Breath Becomes Air is the book that I was talking about, everybody. So please correct that. I'm thinking about another book that reminded me when you were telling the Dr. Amari story, there's a book that I talk about in my book called How Doctors Think. And this is a book that many medical schools actually give out. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but their main story in that book is very similar to what Dr. Amari did to you. It was a story of a woman who was really suicidal because she's been to every doctor. Nobody could help her. In those days, they were paper charts. And to make a long story short, she walks into this doctor's office. He takes this two feet of paperwork and puts it on his desk and says, come sit over here by the couch. Let's talk. And she was very angry. And she says, well, why do I have to do this all over again? You have my record. And he's because I want to hear from you. In the end, the story ends where he diagnoses her as celiac disease, cures her in no time. But the paperwork, or now it would be the MR, was so crazy with all these tests that we got lost in the weeds. Absolutely. And I can't remember if it was from your TEDx or your TED Talk or from your book. When I read that or heard you talk about that, I was like, yes, that's right. That's exactly right. Is it William Osler who talked about, if you want to know the diagnosis, you listen to the patient, whoever it was, it's brilliant. Because that's it. Listen, listen. And what's the saying everyone says now? Don't listen to respond, listen to understand, which is true. I would say, listen to care. Listen to care so you truly are involved and you're engaged and you're empathizing and you're compassionate and you're loving. And that will give you the wisdom and provide the vehicle for that information sharing. And immerse yourself in the patient as a person. I hate to say this, but I just got done watching a romance movie with uh, J-Lo. It's called Marry Me. It's it's with Owen Wilson too. But in that movie, there's a saying that goes on and on over and over again. It says, if you lie in the question long enough, the answer will come to you. And I feel like when I was reading your book, I'm thinking, basically, that's what a good doctor does. He just listens, lie in the patients, hear what he or she has to say. The answer will come to you because you've already been trained. It's all up here. But just come. So interesting thought there. I'm, I'm going back to romance. Now everybody knows I watch romance movies <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> so, truthfully, I only watch football and baseball. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so now, Thomas, now you started, you took all this wisdom and you started Delborg Healthcare, right? That's the, your organization. Now tell us about that and what you do now. So it's Dahlberg Health Caring Leadership Group. And it initially was Dahlberg Healthcare. And I was like, well, wait a minute. We need to move beyond healthcare. We need to transform. We need to work towards, just like you said, love at the top, transforming healthcare to health caring. And so what I do with that organization is I speak around the country. I talk about everything from bullying in healthcare, because that leads, comes from my other book and my other focus, my other passion. 
we talk about the different elements of creating a compassionate or relationship-centered care model. I coach CXOs on moving beyond, just like you said, the numbers and positioning folks to pass the test to actually caring and making a difference in the lives of patients and their own employees. It's been an incredible run. And just recently, I was working with the Mercy Health System. We were talking about nurse bullying and the impacts that, first of all, the systems that led to it and allow it and reward it in some cases, and then the adverse impact on people, everyone in the healthcare system, including deaths. And so we just have so much work to do. And, you know, I just enjoy partnering with my bride, like I said, she's a nurse, she's our chief joy officer, and she focused on the self-caring aspect of healthcare. And with a caveat, we're very, very careful that we don't blame the physicians or the nurses or others for burning out. Because how often do we say, well, you need to take care of yourself? Well, yes, we need to care for ourselves, but we also as leaders need to make the system that allows them to love and care and honor their calling. So it's a great journey. It's interesting about the bullying and the burnout. And I see a lot of that when I give lectures at hospitals too, but the pizza solution doesn't work, which you're shaking your head. Yes, this is what happens. We're going to make you work 12 extra shifts this week. We're going to give you a 12 patient assignment. We're going to not let you even have time to go to the bathroom, but we'll buy you a free pizza at five o'clock and that's supposed to make everything okay. This And this happens, in, you're shaking your head, right? Because this happens in every hospital, right? Oh, just throw pizza at Absolutely. <laughs> we had, well, one of the organizations I worked for was because burnout and the whole thing's going on. They said, well, Friday at nine o'clock, we're having fish fun. Because remember the folks out of Seattle with the fish and some consultants got a hold of that and on Fridays at nine o'clock, we have fish fun and that just solved everything. There was another story. I was walking by one time doing a tour and I passed by this bulletin board and there's and the bulletin boards on burnout. And I hear two nurses, I'm, I'm eavesdropping on their conversation. They look at it. And it was a chart. Things to do if you're feeling burnt out. Take a yoga class, meditate, get some exercise, take a vacation. And the comment that I heard from the nurses if I had time to do all that, I wouldn't be burned out in the first place. (laughs) We're kind of missing the point here, but you're right. So it's wonderful that your wife is doing that because you're right. We have to take care of ourselves. Jonathan Fisher was a great guest on one of my podcasts and that's what he's all about. Because you don't want a doctor or a nurse who's half there because they're burned out. It gets to be dangerous. So it's something that we all need to do. And I really want to thank you for the work that you're doing. It's, I feel like I found the cousin. So this is just awesome. And so I wanted to talk about your other book, but we don't have time. So we're just going to have to have you back. That's all. So your bullying book. So Thomas, tell us at this point, where should we go from here? Are you optimistic about the healthcare? Are you pessimistic? Are we getting better? What's your diagnosis here? We have a long road ahead. There's a many mountains to climb. However, I have found like you just said, and I believe that you are a huge part of, there are flames of good throughout the healthcare system. There are great caring nurses and doctors and transport aides and housekeepers, and there are brilliant and caring CEOs and COOs. We need to capture that positive energy. We need to bring that forth. I am optimistic. We have huge challenges. I don't look through rose-colored glasses by any means, hence my gratitude talk was not looking through rose-colored glasses at all, but rather with heart, with love, with brilliance, with skills, we can make a difference as long as we keep, like you said, mouth before us and we'll make it happen. Fantastic. Well, I'm not going to let you leave without getting the dreaded last question from this podcast. And that's in your entire life, what's the most difficult conversation you've had to have 
and give us some advice on how you've navigated through that conversation. All right. So this will probably be, uh, maybe it's a segue to uh, rejoining you and talking to you about bullying. The most difficult conversation I've ever had was a couple of years ago. I'd already been wor- wrote a book on the bullying and been talking about bullying. And a lot of it has to do with my son. And a couple of years ago, my son, who had been bullied from when he was four years old and born with neurological challenges and bullied by, predominantly by adults. And we helped him in many ways and tried to help him. We made tons of mistakes. Well, two years ago, he came to my wife and I, and he said, mom, dad, I need to let you know that when I was in fourth grade, I put a belt around my neck. And it was the most challenging discussion. It was the most challenging thing to hear. You go to a thousand different places, including how did I screw up? How did I miss? How did I? And thank God this didn't happen. And what can we do to make things better? And so we've been using that as additional fuel to really you know, help children and help parents and help coaches and others really ensure that other children do not go to that place. So thank God my son was not successful. And now to this day, he's helping others. So that was definitely the most challenging. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's difficult every time you talk about that. We appreciate that. Before we close, I'm actually going to put you on the spot here and, and get you to commit to coming back again to talking about the book and difficult conversations about bullying. And so you can't say no on air. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you now, would you be willing to come back and talk about your first book and the bullying? And because that's something that really, really is important. And sports. I mean, sports is such an important part of your life. Absolutely. You know, I know you're a huge Phil Simpson. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's, just, that's just me as I sit here. But I want to talk about all that and how you became a Dallas Cowboy fan from Massachusetts and all that. So will you be willing to come back on? Absolutely. I would love it. Absolutely. And, I, and I appreciate guy. the opportunity to come back, join you, learn from you and share with your audience too. Thank you so much for being on. I really, really appreciate this. If you, what's the best way of people getting in touch with you? My email is tom at dahlborghlg.com. And we'll put that all on the show notes. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and hit download or follow. We appreciate all the subscribers we can get. If you need to get in touch with me or anybody at the Orsini Way, just go ahead and email us at info at theorsiniway.com. Tom, thank you so much. Appreciate everything. And thank you. This has been an amazing podcast. I can't wait for my audience to hear it. Thank you so much. Well, before we leave, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. And I want to thank the Finley Project for being such an amazing organization. Please, everyone who's listening to this episode, go ahead, visit thefinleyproject.org, see the amazing things they're doing. I've seen this organization literally save the lives of mothers who lost infants. So to find out more, go to thefinleyproject.org. Thank you, and I will see you again on Tuesday. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review to contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at the The comments and opinions of the interviewer and guests on this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions and beliefs of their present and past employers or institutions.